and welcome to episode 113 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, fresh from being sick as a dog, Derek Heemsberg and everybody. That's me, everybody. I'm Embryon on the boards, and uh, heat exhaustion is no joke. Dude, Even if you seriously. wear sunscreen, apparently, and drink lots of water, it can still knock your ass out. Yeah. Especially when you live in Arizona. Jeez. Yeah. 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 That adds to it. Oh, I was in bed for three days. Oh, that's the worst. Three days. Oh, God. Is that like... Like so, you just gotta stay like super hydrated if you're living in Arizona, huh? Or else you like or, or don't go outside. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh. A combination of those two things is essential. <laughs> Not going outside. All I have to say is, uh, praise be to Evan for Gatorade because Gatorade brought me back from the brink of death. <laughs> uh, we all just did the hand motion. Oh we yeah, the, huh? we all just did it. <laughs> we also have uh, Caitlin. I was right, uh, Argyros. And we'll find out what I was right about. In a little bit, because uh, they're all on the boards. Let, let's be fair. Caitlin is right about most, if not all, things. Well, we're going to talk about The Witcher. We'll, 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 <laughs> well, <yeah>. No. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. And then we also yeah. have we also have Mike Dragon Quest Solosi. Okay, that's an interesting choice of epithet, but sure. Yeah, I'm Mike Solosi. I'm Monsoon on the boards, and I do love Dragon Quest. Okay? September sixteenth. We will call you Loto from now on, or whatever. Roto, whatever. I, I'm sorry, I don't. I'm not good with the original. Erdrick. Er, is yeah, it Erdrick or Erdrick? There's. Is there voice acting in NES games? <laughs> I think so. That was like it's the worst. Erdrick, right? E R D R. I think it's Erdrick. I think yeah, it's that's gonna. correct. And that was the worst thing when we were kids, and it was like when, without proper voice acting, we had to sit here and like debate how the hell you're supposed to pronounce these crazy names. And yeah, I, I, had, I had a I had a chocobo versus chukabu conversation once oh that, my God. that ended awkwardly for my friend. I, I was listening to the last episode, and and Steph definitely said something other than chocobo, and I was like, what was that again? And like I I can't even pronounce it right now. There, there okay, were more. There were more it's, syllables in there. It's unfair. To, it's unfair to like bring up Steph when she's not here to defend herself. But maybe that's just the Canadian version. <laughs> that's the one with free healthcare and. Uh, you know, oh my God, you guys are um, messed up. I know. The I know. first hockey to baseball. Yeah. We're having fun. We're having fun. Uh, so yeah, we got a lot of games to talk about. We're going to go through some reader mail at the end of the podcast. Uh, you guys sent mail. Yes. Yes. Mail. I love you. And then we're going to plug a crazy idea that I've had, and I want to get some feedback from the fans to see if nope, we should actually you are try not, it. Uh, we're not quitting the show. You, you, nope. you, uh, no, I wasn't informed of this. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm going to bring it up at the end of the podcast. I, I want to gauge interest in our mm. listeners. Please all, look forward to it. All Suspense. three of them. I just Or if these emails are anything to go by. <laughs> this is I, tenser um, than a scene from Zero Time Dilemma. Anywho, Zero Time Dilemma, everybody. It's out. Uh... I finally got my copy. Uh, I did not get my special edition because of the problems that they had shipping them out. Oh my god, man. Amazon. Yeah, Rob, you, you had like a five-day ordeal with everyone around you playing it and you not doing that, right? Yeah, was it was... It, is five days about right? It was pretty frustrating. I uh, I was going to get the game on Tuesday. That was when it was supposed to come in, but Axis announced, I think the Friday previous, that the, the limited edition watches that I was really looking forward to because I do need a new watch, as stupid as that sounds, uh, it, the limited edition watches had apparently been damaged in transit, so they were working on trying to fix it and get the game out to people but that meant, like, a lot of shipments got screwed up. So at one point, it looked like I was going to be getting my game in just a few days, and then when I uh, I talked to Amazon uh, support 
on Friday, and they said that my ship date was August 19th. And the, okay. the, very, the very nice woman that I talked to, she was awesome, and she was like, look, I, I can almost guarantee that it's going to be before August 19th, but that is the ship date right now. And I was like, okay, let's go ahead and cancel that. And so I got my money back, and then I just downloaded it off the PSN store. Uh, very frustrating, but you know, I got it, and I, I think I've done a pretty good job of avoiding the internet when it comes to spoilers. Uh, I'm maybe about halfway through the game, because I've kind of... Mike, you and I were talking a little bit. Like I've done. Yeah, I'm, most... I'm terrible about not giving out spoilers, but I'll, right. I'll do my best to. Have well, we're going to avoid spoilers on the show for the most part. We we might talk about a few puzzles uh, and the basic structure of the game, but we're not going to go into spoilers. I don't want to ruin the game for people, so right, no okay. worries. No worries there, and I will go through and cut out any potential spoilers if we get bad. So I'm not I'm not going to screw with our listeners there. But uh, I think I'm maybe about halfway through because after the general introduction, you then open up a bunch of fragments to play through, and I've almost completed all of those, and I've done a lot of the puzzle rooms. And I guess my general thought on this game is I'm a little... I'm definitely happy with it. I'm, I'm happy I'm playing it. I'm enjoying it a lot. But I do think maybe my expectations were a little out of whack. I think that because Virtue's Last Reward ended on such a massive cliffhanger, I was so excited to play this game, and I was, like, you know, chomping at the bit for it, and the way that it was announced last year, you know, kind of out of nowhere, yeah, we're going to be able to make this again! And then with it coming out, I, I think the thing I have to keep reminding myself of is that it's kind of a miracle that we got this game to begin with. Like, there weren't a whole lot of plans to do this, and then they, they kind of pulled it together, and I think it's going to sell really well, and that's a real positive. But I do have some issues with the game. Uh, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the, the presentation uh, right off the bat, which is... Oh, the, the 3D uh, models? Yeah, it, it's a swing and a miss. I mean, it, it, it they went for full motion cutscenes, uh, and they're animated atrociously. Yeah, I, I, they it, really are. Yeah. It's a real letdown, and I, I get why they did it, because there's a lot more action in this game. The decisions that you make and the absolutely brutal nature of some of the awful things that can happen in this game, I totally get why they did it, but it's like they went with about as much maybe less fidelity in the original Metal Gear Solid cutscenes, but they also tried to lip-sync it with mouth movements that look atrocious. And yeah, I, I like the choices that they make with the camera in this game. Like, it makes certain scenes really dramatic, and it's and it sets yeah. and it sets things in a lot of cool ways. And so, and I mean, there's a lot of dramat drama in this game in general. And I understand why they went uh, with the uh, with th full 3D animation, but it, it's like you said, it's it's ugly models and poor and poor animation. So yeah. it, it feels like a net negative. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike, in that they try to frame stuff in interesting ways, but what they're also doing with the camera is they're obscuring the animations that don't exist. Like, mm -hmm. the fact that every time a memory fragment ends and everybody passes out, it just cuts away, and you hear thump, thump, thump. thump. thump, thump. <laughs> and then it goes back to it, and they're laying on the ground, because there's no animation for them falling down. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's really obvious that this game was made on a more limited budget, and I get that. And uh, like Rob said, I'm, I'm glad that we're playing it. I, I, I beat it. Um, I'm grateful that there is a conclusion to the story, but it, it's really obvious that they worked with what they had, and what they had was way less of a budget than BLR. 
Well, and I think also the nature of VLR not having full cutscenes, except for in a few instances where they had animations, but it was a lot of like characters talking directly at you, sort of like an Ace Attorney game. I, I couldn't help but think, wouldn't this game have just looked that much better? Because the, the art style, like the, the pieces of artwork for the game are absolutely gorgeous. Wouldn't it have just been better if they just would, went with like manga style yeah. cutscenes? Yeah, I think like, so. Like I, I, I'm thinking to like the uh, those gorgeous manga things at the end of uh, the cases in Danganronpa. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that that was like over and over in my head. I'm like, man, if you guys had just gone for the, because it's a real dark, gritty look to this game. That's really awesome, but it just mm, it present presentation wise, the game looks like trash. I I I, I hate to be that blunt, but it it looks terrible. And that's that's a real shame because I think what's actually going on in the cutscenes, and the fact that they've really pulled the BS out of 999 and VLR, where like this game hits the ground running, there really isn't a whole lot of wasted time in the game. They they really tell the story quickly, which I I really admire because there were moments in 999 and VLR where I'm like, okay, come on, let let's let's go here a little bit. Okay, there's a little bit of ice cream talk in this game that I could have done without. There's I think the first puzzle I solved resulted in seven people dying, <laughs> and the second puzzle I solved resulted in a, a like a stare down between one person wielding an axe and the other person wielding a chainsaw. Yeah, the, the, I, got, like, I did that part. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, those two things being my first meaningful gameplay chunks were was I, both eyebrows were raised. I yeah, mean, holy crap! It, it does it, not pull any punches. No, it doesn't, and I, I think there was. I think 999 was probably tighter than VLR, but VLR was sprawling and had some super memorable moments. But there were times where I was playing VLR where I was like, okay, come on, let's let's go here a little bit. And I, I think Zero Time Dilemma, I'm I'm enjoying the story of Zero Time Dilemma a lot, which kind of brings me to my next primary complaint. And this is this is really a, a, a your mileage will vary, but the, the puzzle rooms have aggravated me to no end. Like, I just spent... Last night, I spent 20 minutes, I, I, I said to Mike this morning uh, on, on a Google uh, chat, like, I spent 20 minutes looking for the specific thing in the puzzle room. Oh, and, the, the, like a yeah. switch in the healing room? Right. Uh, no, no, no. It was actually the, the drain lid in the shower room. And because, oh, oh, with okay, the lights okay. off? Yeah. yeah, with the lights off. I, I think off. you were complaining to me about the healing room in a different conversation. Yeah, I was, I was complaining about the healing room, and I think anybody that says that they did the flower puzzle is lying, because that... that I, I, I randomly clicked that thing in vague patterns until... So did I. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was getting so pissed at that thing. Like, Let's try a cross this time, then I'll try the, a circle. Those kind of puzzles are either completely, like... It, they're always symmetric, but it depends on which way you're looking. And so uh, what was so frustrating to me is that the couple of times I've gotten really stuck in this game, I felt like it's because I haven't clicked on the things in the environment, and that also goes with the touch controls, at least on the Vita, are temperamental as hell. It just it feels like I'm playing this game with mittens when I need to like rotate a combination lock yeah. or something. Yeah, th- yeah you're, not, you're not wrong. There's definitely some pixel hunting in this game that can get quite annoying. I... Oh, I think there was at least one one time in the healing room, and one time I want to say in uh, uh, the room with the with the reactor in it. It might just be the reactor room. I forget. I forget exactly what it's called. But I, I mostly played on the Vita with uh, a joystick manipulating the cursor, yeah. and it got really difficult. Even when I was trying to pick up something that was standing right in front, that was right in front of me. 
So it's I um I heard that there the slowdown on 3DS is a little worse, but I would have been I really wish I had a better touch screen and stylus to work with. That's a weakness of the Vita. It's not it, it's not great with like cursor based adventure games. Yeah, I'm having a I, I missed a set of matches because I clicked on them and didn't pick them up, and so I was like, oh, I can't interact with that. And then, you know, ten ten fifteen minutes of screwing around with the room, and then going, all right. Uh, apparently, I did need the matches. I click on them again, and I picked them up. At my my phrase that I've been saying to Jackie over and over again as she watches me get really pissed with this game is like, what do I what do I have to fiddle f with in order to get this thing to keep moving forward? Like I'm I'm just playing around with stuff, and then. A couple of the the logic puzzles have actually been pretty okay. I know a lot of people got stuck on the transporter room, but I was lucky. I liked that room a lot. I did too, but it, I, I I was dumb and it actually benefited me. Like I didn't try to make the puzzle more complicated than it needed to be. No, I'm well. I mean, I I like mathy puzzles in these games, whether it's Layton or VLR or Phoenix Wright, and um and the visual stuff like the like that stupid flower pattern thing and sliding puzzles are my are the things that really kill me a lot of the time. But I I um like the puzzles in this game. Okay, most of my issues were mechanical finicky stuff with the Vita cursor than the actual logic uh or or uh you know puzzle solving nature of the puzzles themselves. But I was I sort of wish there were more. Because I think uh, 999 had 15 and VLR had 16, and this and uh, Zero Time Dilemma only has 13. And by the time you've done your 13th, there are still like a dozen decision rooms left. It's just a mm-hmm. bunch of story and decision making. I'm looking forward to that though, because yeah. <laughs> like I'm I'm done with these puzzle rooms. Like what? I just don't want to do them anymore. Yeah, like I, I finished I finished the last puzzle and I was maybe two thirds of the way down the flowchart. And I'm like, whoa, okay, th- this is weird. I just got the achievement for doing all the puzzle rooms. What's up with that? But uh, no, yeah, I I liked the puzzle. Sort of wish there was more and. Um, I guess my, my big issue, other than visuals with this game, uh, after this I promise I'll stop talking and let Derek say something, uh, <laughs> was uh, I, I really liked how both 999 and VLR had spaces that sort of felt more like complete spaces. Like, I mean, it's, it's a bit annoying in VLR that you have to, like, run through those first three rooms over and over so many times, mm-hmm. but it actually felt like a, like a full real place, and I got a sense of where things were and the layout of the uh, station or whatever you want to call uh, the space in VLR and how 999 was a ship that you know had a room layout and uh, the, those creaky noises that kept people you know believing that they were really stranded on a ship and I don't get that idea of, um, at all from Zero Time Dilemma because it's this you know uh, three-sided disparate bunker that you know. It, like, like, there's no scenes of character, or barely any, of characters traveling between rooms, and far less scenes of them just hanging out in these spaces. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like the setting as much in Zero Time Dilemma, but it had uh, some unbelievably dramatic moments, and the decision time points are way more intense than the AB games in VLR, or the like, the uh, you know, the waving your watch over the sensor bits in 999. And uh, and a lot of those are amazing, and I think that the story is ultimately interesting and satisfying in Zero Time Dilemma, bar- like avoiding spoilers, of course. But it just it it, it, the, it the whole game felt disjointed from the from the room from the 
like the room's not feeling like a complete place, and the whole you know knocking themselves out between puzzles, making jumping all over the timeline. I, I didn't love it as much as VLR. There. Without going into spoilers, I've seen a little bit of debate on our boards about where this game kind of leaves the series. Do you guys feel like that this is the conclusion and there are not going to be any more Zero Escape games, or is there is the door still open for more sequels? And I, I know you can say that about most media, like, oh, you could continue a story in anything, but like, do, do you guys feel like the, the game world is set and they're kind of done, or could they move yeah. forward? I think they're done with this overall story. Okay. Um, I think they could fill in some gaps in what individual characters are doing, but uh, the, the main story, I think, is wrapped up adequately, and that's what I like the best about the game. I, uh-huh. I, uh, I don't know if we're going to assign an arbitrary score to it. For me, it's like a 7.5 or something. Uh, I think that it's, like I said, it's, it's a good conclusion, and it, it answers a lot of my questions about what, what, like, where the overall picture is, and it also, uh, I'm still processing a little bit of it. Like, it took me a couple days um, until afterwards to realize, like, okay, well, that's what happened in that timeline, so I understand how it connected to this and that. Um, and and a big part of the picture to take in is that as you're experiencing the story, you're experiencing multiple permutations of it. So you have mm-hmm. to understand that, like, one of the timelines or one of the branches is going to conclude somewhere totally differently than the rest. Like, you know, one of those timelines leads to Virtue's Last Reward. And so once you understand all of the individual individual decisions that led up to that point, you can kind of get a more well-rounded understanding of um, of uh, the characters and their motivations and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do one of my my complaint about the game, besides the budget and the you know animations and stuff, is that I feel like they didn't character they kind of messed up the characterization of a few of the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, how Joan Pay's a total jerk now. Well. They kind of explain that in that, you know, it's been a while and he's kind of jaded or whatever, but um, he is totally different, and that's or, or pretty different. I, I, I want to say, or I have to wonder if some of that is just because he's voice acted now, and maybe just sort of the abrasive tone he has a lot of the time is something that was being communicated in 999, but, but you know, like, I didn't pick up on it as a reader, Um I, I keep having these moments where I have to remind myself that this is actually the, the dark middle chapter of the story, as messed up as that is, because in the actual timeline it goes nine 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 zero time dilemma and then virtue's last reward. So even mm-hmm. though this is the third game, it is the dark middle chapter. It is the Empire Strikes Back. It is it the, is dark the darkest middle chapter. It, it is the darkest middle chapter. And so, like with Junpei, I'm trying to remind myself without spoiling VLR, that he's in VLR. And I really like him in VLR. I love his character in that game. And the reveal of his character is fantastic. And so I'm trying, without having finished Zero Time Dilemma, I'm trying to see like how his character becomes that character in VLR. But I can't excuse Akane, who is just insufferable in this game. And I, yeah, I, I don't get it. She just doesn't come across as the same person. She just and I guess sucks. That. Like, I hate to say it, but the voice actress is terrible. Maybe it's not her fault. Maybe it's the direction. But, like, her character is just so lacking in any power that yeah. I felt she came out of 999 with and exhibited in the very little that we saw of her in VLR. Like, she just... I, I was expecting strength out of her, but it, meanwhile, Phi seems to have all that strength. Like, I have no problems with D-Team. 
it's C team that feels a little weird, and then Q team is like, where did you Muppets come from? Like, <laughs> like wh- where did you yeah, clown, like show up from? Like, was was this just the team that showed up? Like, it's strange. It's a really yeah. weird. It, it's a game of real highs and lows for me. Like, I'm I'm really up on it one minute, and then I'm really down on it the next minute. And a lot of that is also the the disjointed nature of picking these fragments and not knowing where they lie in these timelines and these choices. Like, you can go for a spree where you kind of just get crap, and then all of a sudden the good stuff starts coming. It's a really bold, ballsy design decision. But it also means that, like, I am not playing this game nearly as intensely as I was VLR. Like, VLR was like a job. Like, I woke up 9 to 5 every day. It was just VLR. Zero time dilemma. I'm having a little bit more of a, like, hey, I'll play it for, like, an hour, and then I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm going to walk away from it. I'm a little pissed off at a puzzle room, or I got some story beats that I really wasn't that interested in. Like, it, it's just real up and down for me. I and I think that VLR was much more intuitive in how to move the story forward because both VLR and Zero Time Dilemma have this you know story flowchart and you know you you jump to the parts that ha- that have locks removed or that you haven't visited yet to unlock more parts of the flowchart but in in ZTD some of the decisions that you have to make to unlock other parts of the fro- flowchart did not feel I, I did not understand them easily. I and I actually didn't have to look online for any puzzle solutions, but I did look online for one uh just answer to a directed question so I knew how to move the story. Dice? Forward. Was it the dice? Because I have No, it was not some, the dice. Somebody tell me after the podcast because I'm sorry the percentage on that. I know there has to be something else going on. No, nope, just keep trying. No, yeah, just keep Are rolling. you serious? Yeah. No, it's it's not that bad. Just keep trying. Okay, Just do it again. Okay. Uh, okay. I did it like three times and I got pissed. And I, was I like, think right. I think I got it on my third time. Okay. Yeah, you could right. only have to do it yeah. three times. Okay. Okay. Maybe I did it two times. Maybe right. you know. No, th- this was a directed question. And uh, I, I just, I tried every answer that could remotely make sense. And I, I probably shouldn't spoil what the right answer was on this podcast. But it, let's say that it it was like a frustrated sigh escaped my mouth as i as i realized what i was supposed to say in that situation and and i don't want people to think that we're we're really down on this game or attacking it like i still am very much enjoying it but i i think that there are there are problems that i have with the game that are a little you know they they suck I mean, I, I hate criticizing a game that I inherently like, but it, that's just my nature. That's one of the things that we do on this site, and I'm glad we got it. I hope that – I think in some really messed up way, this is going to end up being the best-selling game, but probably my least favorite in the trilogy. And if that leads to more of these getting made and more stories by this amazing director, writer – I can't pronounce his name to save my life uh, – I'm all for it. Like, I want more games, and I want him to have a bigger budget, and I want him to listen to me when I say, just go to manga-style cutscenes, like, for the love of God. Like, that's all you need to do, and everything will be fine. I'm really I'm really interested to see what his next game is. It, I hope because, he starts completely fresh. <laughs> because he's he's been making really out-there visual novels for some years now, and... Uh, now that he has some international popularity thanks to Zero Escape, I mean, I, I agree with Derek that the door, that I'm pretty sure this is going to be the last game in the series. Like, it doesn't close the door all the way on the plot, but it, I, I don't think there will be a fourth game. And I'm super interested to see what 
his next project ends up being for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I I am overall happy with it. You know, very happy with it. But it is a little, you know, in some ways I'm a little down on it. Just a little. Just a little. Yeah, that's where I'm at here. Liked yeah. it, didn't love it to death. Right. Yeah, I loved I VLR to death, to death. Because it's a death game. Death. <laughs> I loved VLR to death and liked this one without loving it to death, which is ironic because ZTD has way more death than either of the prior two games. I would agree so with you. So much death. Yeah. Caitlin, are you playing it or no? Uh, I haven't played any of the games in the oh series. My God. Oh. I know, every time that comes up, it's like, what's oh, wrong with you? I've yelled at you before for that. I may, I may get my chance, though. There's, there's news that they're going to port 999 mm-hmm. to unspecified platforms. We don't know which. Uh, please Vita, please Vita, please Vita. I would imagine, um, yeah. With uh, at least Japanese voice acting. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out if we're even getting it, although I would be surprised if we don't. Um, so maybe I will get my shot uh, to to start the series from the beginning. And I think um, also in along with that announcement, they're also bringing VLR to Steam. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So like so nine 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 to unspecified platforms, VLR to PC, and that is really exciting news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I will definitely pick it up again. I want to have all the games on one console. Um, I kind of wish I got the Steam version of this, honestly, because I think. Yeah. Maybe- me too. Maybe using a mouse would be okay. But it also had absolutely ridiculous system requirements for what the game is. Like, I think that's just... That kind of that kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like, it's like asking well, that, for an i5 or something. I'm like, what? Like, well, the Vita version, like, it's it's not running well. The no, it's frame not. That's true. Constantly. So I have that's to wonder true. if it's just not optimized in any way. Yeah, it's kind of like my experience. I, I love my new graphics card, but it still is struggling to keep Hitman at a constant 60 in the bigger areas, and that's just bad optimization. There's nothing I can do about that. Like, you know, it is what it is. But it would be nice to have all those games on one console, and I really want to see where they go next. Uh, overall, I liked it. Uh, moving on, just a quick hit for me, uh, and then we can talk about Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Uh, I reviewed uh, Blood and Wine, the Witcher DLC. Um, it, it's it's more yeah, Witcher. I was gonna say, did you review like the actual like liquids, the substances, blood, and also uh, well, wine? Well, and where do you I'm, rate them in relation to each other? Well, you know, I'm more of a Scotch guy, so okay. like you know that that's that's obviously a factor right there. I'm not I'm not much of a wine drinker. Uh, okay, so you just, prefer blood to wine, so you're a bloodthirsty murderer. I would I would say so. Yes. Okay. And, I, and and certain people in religious scripture have blood and wine as the same thing. Mm, yeah. That is true. See, this, this makes the whole death wish coffee thing make a lot more sense. Oh Rob. God, I had some freaking me out. <laughs> so, so Jackie made Jackie made the mistake of having some of the death wish coffee today. The coffee today, like when she made it for me, and she was like, "My heart feels like it's going to jump out of my chest." I'm like, "That's the good stuff." And she's like, "I can't sleep." Like, they should just rename it Square Enix Coffee. Yes. Okay. Oh wow. That coffee. Get your own ridiculous. label for it. Yeah. That coffee was ridiculous. Um. So yeah, I played um. I played Blood and Wine, and it's more Witcher, which is a good thing. Um, D- Jackie is standing by me right now. What, Jackie? We're in the middle of podcasting. What do you want? You just, you just like, glance at me when I'm wearing this. Do you want me to point out to the listeners what you're wearing right now? <laughs> moving on, moving on. Lo- love you, love you, Jackie. Uh, <laughs> love you, Jackie. So was what she's wearing make your heart pump faster than that Death Wish coffee? Apparently. Um, 
so yeah, uh, anywho, Blood and Wine. Um, now I'm all massively distracted over here. Blood and Wine. Uh, it's good. It, it is a good Witcher story. It is not a great Witcher story. It is, it is more Witchering. It is a huge area. It supposedly takes you 30 hours to complete the insane number of side quests that they put into the game. The main story is is long and involved, but I gotta be honest, I, the fact that it doesn't really do a whole lot to change the Witcher formula or add anything to it. It kind of puts it on a low point of DLC for me. Like, I, I feel like the best expansions, the best pieces of DLC, make the game better. Uh, they add something to it, either you know, flesh out certain things or add new things. Um, there's a couple additions in Blood and Wine that are kind of neat. They they kind of tooled with the upgrade system a little bit and give you some higher level upgrades, but they're still kind of lame and very. Uh, very like unbalanced. There's one skill that you can get that makes your your force push ability like freeze people and instantly kill them. And it's like, why would you use anything else in the game? Like, th- this is kind of ridiculous. Um, they give you a, a house kind of like Assassin's Creed 2, kind of your own personal base, which is kind of neat. But it's it's just more Witcher, and I think the last thing that game needed was more content. Uh, if anything, it had almost too much to the point of insanity in the original game. So now I'm like, okay, I was already done with this game last year and I had zero desire to play more of it, and here's more of it. So it's... Yeah, I mean, I, it was a hard game to review because it's like, well, if you wanted more Witcher, that's what you got. But I kind of wanted, like, refined Witcher. I maybe wanted some some new stuff to it. Like, you know, let, let's talk about the, the best pieces of DLC ever made, like the Lord of Destruction for uh, Diablo 2. That took Diablo 2, which was a good game, and made it amazing. You talk about the Diablo 3 expansion. That thing is nuts. Like, what they did with that game, like, they, they took a game that was like, oh, okay, this is like an 8, and they made it one of the best dungeon crawlers available right now. I think the Bloodborne DLC added so many new weapons and new environments that it made the base game better. Um, Witcher doesn't really do that. Now, did it need to do that? that? That's a question I can't really answer. But it it was more Witcher when I think it needed to be better Witcher, if that makes sense. And Caitlin, I don't think you've played it yet, so I I don't know no. what to tell you. And I, I, know, I know we disagree a little bit on the Witcher. Yeah, well, I like the... the the combat, and you don't, so... I despise the combat, uh, and they they actually pushed my buttons more because there's more teleporting enemies with ranged attacks, and Geralt still has to enter combat mode before he can successfully dodge, and that stuff just makes me very, very angry when I'm playing that game. But that's that's personal taste. I know some people really like The Witcher 3 combat. I do not. Well, I think if you like The Witcher in general, hearing that it's more Witcher is probably all you need to know. I mean, yeah, no, that's all I need to know, really. Yeah, I, I think if you play it, you're going to enjoy it. Um, but it's, I do think the story is bad. I, I don't think it's a very well told story. I think the main villain, in quotation marks, is very, very weak, and he doesn't behave. Uh, he doesn't behave in a witchery fashion. Like he, he and and also that the fact that Witcher games have always kind of prided themselves on moral grays 
and you actually have one character outright tell you how to get the good ending in the game, and then he shows up again and goes, nah, seriously, if you don't do this, you're going to get the bad ending. And, like, I kept exp- I kept expecting them to subvert that expectation and, like, turn it on its head, and, and no, it is actually just as on the nose as it appears to be, and that was a real letdown. Uh, I don't think that game has ever gotten anywhere close to the Bloody Baron side quest. That's the one everybody brings up, and I think with good reason. It is the best quest in the game, but it is also the best quest in the game by a country mile. And that's it's disappointing they haven't managed to repeat that again. I know people were really up on Hearts of Stone, which I didn't play, so maybe that's where the awesome story is, but the the story in Blood and Wine is not very good. It actually has a really awkward jump forward in time at one point, where it's like, you have three days to figure out what's going on, otherwise bad things are going to happen, and the game actually just fast-forwards three days later. And it's like, what was Geralt doing the whole time? Was he, like, drinking coffee? Like, what... Like, what? It, it's a bizarre moment of just, like, wait a minute, th- this game of player agency just took the player agency away from me. What the hell just happened? And I, I think that was probably cut rather than anything else. It, it feels like the game was a little stitched together at the last minute. And I've been talking for a long time, and I'm done talking about The Witcher. Still good. And apparently there's a Game of the Year edition coming out. Yeah, I heard about great. that. Yay! Oh, the UI changes are great. I, I will say that much. Like they, You can now read a note without having to go into a menu. So immediately when you pick it up, you can start reading it. That's like... That's one of those like godsends that is so like really you didn't have that in the original game but now it's there and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm I've been impressed. I mean, just with the uh, the patches, let alone yeah. the content in the actual DLC, but they've been updating to the UI. Uh, the fact that you can actually like preview your equipment now instead of having to you know unequip everything and then put new stuff on. I mean, that's nice. Yeah, um, it plays a lot better. Yeah, except the combat. Yeah. I know, I know, I'm picky. I'm picky. You are, you are. I don't think, I, I think the game I plays... I don't like either, so... I, I think the game around. plays like a bad Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> like, oh, I, no. I really no, no, no. do. Have you have uh, have you played all the Assassin's Creed games? I mean, I, I played up through 3. And I had more fun with the combat in Assassin's Creed 2 than I did in The Witcher. Wow. It's just, that's amazing for me to hear that. It's very contextual, and I really don't like that. I I don't like my animations being determined by how close I am to an enemy. I I think that's why I didn't like uh, Revengeance in a lot of ways. Like, that's one of those things that I really, really don't like. And so when Geralt exits combat, and I'm getting spit at by giant Potsylvania creepers from Rocky and Bullwinkle, and I can't do anything about that, like, that really... It really annoys me, and then all of a sudden he decides, "Oh, okay, I better go back into combat," and it just it it sucks. Like it it's just one of those things where it's like, I I know why you did this, but it's still aggravating the crap out of me. But you know, I I don't want to harp on it anymore. If you like The Witcher, you're gonna love Blood and Wine. I just you know, it's more Witcher, and I want cyberpunk. Maybe that's part of it. You'll get Cyberpunk when it's ready. Yeah, like twenty years. Yeah. Yeah, like and you'll like it. What's what's the full title of the game? Cyberpunk. Twenty twenty. Well, that's when you'll get it. Twenty seventy seven. Deus Ex: Mankind Divided. I I don't, I don't know. They named it after the year that it's going to release. Yeah. 
2027. So yeah, 11 look years. For, that sounds about right. Please look forward to it. Please look forward to it. Uh, so yeah, moving away from The Witcher, uh, I would like to hear about Tokyo Mirage Session and why it's awesome, because the internet did like, I think three 180s on this game where everybody was super excited. No, it would yeah, be, yeah. It would be Against all odds. No, no, no. Against it would be two 180s because everybody was super excited about Shin Megami right, Tensei yeah. Cross Fire Emblem. Then they saw what the game was and they said, no, we don't want that. And then the reviews came out and everybody was like, no, this is actually pretty good. So I think we've done two 180s on this game. Yeah. Well, Caitlin sure hasn't. No, I've, I've been on board since we saw the very first. Not. The first trailer was nothing. It was basically just, it's streaming Common Hands, a crossfire, and that's what it is. But the first, like, actual cutscene trailer, I guess, it wasn't really even gameplay. Um, yeah. Where they, they showed, like, Tsubasa flying down uh, in Shibuya on, on her Pegasus mountain. It was like, oh, yeah, yes, please, more. Yeah, I thought that looked horrible. <laughs> it was like, nope, get it out of my face. But... Uh, yeah, I'm glad that it turned out great. Caitlin, why don't you start? Because I know that you've been enjoying it, and yeah, sure. I reviewed it, but you're like the fresh face. <laughs> uh, okay, so it was originally Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem. It became, um, what, Shin Megami Tensei, or sorry, Atlas Cross Fire Emblem, because there are a lot of uh, persona elements as well as, you know, the standard Shin Megami Tensei format, and when the idol content was revealed, I think that's that was probably the last uh, nail in the coffin for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's done well, I think. Um, it's not going to be, like, if you were hoping for it to be kind of a subversive uh, idol thing, where it's, it's, it, it's on the surface about idols, but it's really subverting that. It doesn't necessarily do that or to the extent that you might want, but it's not bad. I, I mean, I and I say that with, you know, taking a grain of salt with what I'm saying, I was not turned off by the initial idol reveal. I'm, I'm not as turned off by idol stuff as other people, so I think maybe I have a uh, just a, a larger tolerance for it. Um, but it's. I, mean, I think everyone's worried about it. Just, is it going to be? Is it going to be idle crap? Idle crap. Idle crap. Yeah, there's idle crap, but there's good characters. There's awesome gameplay. Mm-hmm. There's lots of little nods to both Shin Megami Tensei and Fire Emblem. Um, I know people were saying, "Oh, this just looks like Persona. Where's the Fire Emblem?" There's lots of little Fire Emblem nuggets. I'm oh, yeah. I'm not even a super I haven't been playing Fire Emblem that long and I'm noticing all these little things. So it's I think it's not the crossover everyone expected and it's not the crossover that uh, a lot of people I'm sure wanted, but it's an interesting merge of these two franchises, a new sort of IP born out of the two originals and I've been having a great time with it. I'm only um I just finished chapter two, chapter two last night, so I still have a lot left to go through, but I've been having a blast with everything that I've seen so far. Now, when I looked at it, I got a little bit of a Final Fantasy 12, uh, 10-2 vibe 
Is mm. that fair to say, or was I maybe judging it a little too harshly? And is, or is that like not even a bad thing? Like that—that's kind of what it's going for, and that's that's awesome. That's definitely what it's going for. Like it—it it doesn't make any. It doesn't pretend to be anything but this really upbeat celebration of Japanese idol culture, and yeah. it doesn't actually suffer for it. Um, because when Caitlin was saying, like, you know, people read it off as idol crap, I was one of those people because I'm just sick of idol culture sort of flooding a lot of Japanese RPGs today because I, I think that, A, it's it's getting to be overdone, and B, it's not necessarily handled in a way that makes it super compelling. It's just, like, there, and people say, oh, my God, I know what idols are. That's so neat. And then mm-hmm. they, you know, it's an excuse to kind of pander to this particular niche without doing anything interesting. But um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions takes this idea, and it creates this entire game around it, and it makes sense. Like, yes, it is totally fantastical and over-the-top and silly. It's like, I described it as as cheesy but earnest. Like, it knows that it is this happy-go-lucky tale of all these these young entertainers becoming singers and dancers, and um, they're fighting off these uh, evil sources of energy that feed off of human creativity. Like, it is goofy, but it is also... It just, it works. It has all this charisma. Uh, and and it's amazing how well it works. Like, the idea of having performers that use, you know, the equivalent of personas to Persona. fight, against, yeah, fight against enemies on this stage, and all of their attacks are very flashy, and it works into a combo system where you coordinate your attacks, and they make these sessions, as the name is called. Um, I did air quotes. You couldn't see it. Uh, it's... <laughs> And, and, of course, like, the soundtrack is, is actually just fantastic. There's uh, several J-pop tunes, of course. So, like, if you absolutely can't stomach J-pop, then you're not going to like those songs. But even the, like, all the instrumental stuff, I think, is really good and catchy. It's pretty much on par with a Persona game. Um, and then all the the actually fully featured vocal songs are, like, really well produced. Uh, they brought in actual singers, and the singers are also the same people who do the, the voice acting in the game. So there's, like, this consistent level of quality and polish throughout and like don't even oh my god this is to say nothing of the just the art design in general not just the actual art for the characters but the menu design in the ui is just outrageously good looking it's the prettiest main menu i've ever seen it's it's the best thing i've seen next to persona 5 and that's not out yet so like (laughs) i mean these menus are Gorgeous. And uh, this is a weird aside to make, but Final Fantasy X-2 had awesome, awesome menus. Yeah, they so, were very, yeah, they were pretty flashy, but they also were functional. Um, so it turns but, out, yeah, idle spinoffs have great menus. It turns out. What's that all about? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the entire thing is just suffused with bright color. Um, it's so, it's just, it's full of life. And uh, I didn't expect to connect with this game at all, and instead, I just totally fell for it. And uh, I, I think it was a, a risk that paid off. Not a game I expected to like in any way, and here I am saying like it's one of the best games I've played this year, and it easily stands alongside Persona. Uh, yes. it's, it's its own thing. It doesn't have to replace it, and I, I wouldn't want it to, because I think you know it doesn't take itself quite as seriously, and I prefer the nuanced storytelling of Persona and the deep characterization, because these characters in Tokyo Mirage aren't... They aren't super shallow, but they're also, you know, like, they're pretty... 
you've seen him before, you know. You've seen, like, the kind of earnest but ditzy girl. You've seen the cool and aloof girl. Oh, but Subasa is my spirit animal, though. I mean... She's actually super cute. Like, she isn't annoying. I love her texts. I've seen people people tweet Subasa's text messages a lot, and it makes them play the game. They're amazing. (laughs) They're fantastic. Let's bring that up, because I think that's actually another thing the game does really well, is how it integrates the gamepad. Um, mm-hmm. So you have, like, you know, a lot of games, the gamepad might have your map, and you have the map on the gamepad. But you also have, like, uh, in-game it's called Topic, and it's the equivalent of, like, a mass uh, messaging, like, you know, text on a phone or whatnot like that. Um, so all of your characters will send you messages. Um, main story, sometimes there will be messages from from multiple characters, you even occasionally get the option uh, to choose your response to those characters. And the, the localization uh, is just so well done. The characters all feel like, you know, just from a feeling of text, you can get a sense of their personalities. They do things in believable ways, like uh, Toma never, ever capitalizes anything. Uh uh, Tsubasa frequently will freak out like she forgot that they had a test or you tell her you got tickets from her favorite idol and she just goes into an all caps you know freak out but I have real people real friends that do the exact same thing and it's so yeah. believable I, I, I tweeted about this but like I hadn't even met a character in the game right at the beginning and there are a few text messages and topic um right, you know, that you can go back and look at your history in. I immediately got a good sense of some of these characters just from the text messages on the gamepad. I thought it was a brilliant way to... Just, it's, it's, it's almost none of it is, you know, required for the story or for progressing. Occasionally you have to look at it in order to uh, pr- progress through a scene, but for the most part it's just side content. But what a brilliant way to throw, to have side content and have it be meaningful and develop characters and endear mm-hmm. you to those characters. Like, I love Tsubasa so much. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the uh, the natural advancement of the, the text messages that characters would send you in Persona 4 when they're like, hey, do you want to go out to a movie? Like how Naoto would send everything in all caps, super serious, and like Yosuke would just be a, an all lowercase mess. Um, this is like that, but there's just significantly more character. And then the way that they message you using... It's it's kind of like Line, if you're familiar with that messaging app. Um, they have stickers and stuff, and every character has their own little set of stickers that they'll send you. Like the uh, the kind of boozy boss lady, Maiko, has these rabbits that are always holding oh, martinis yes. and looking drunk and stuff. Like It's just... It's so full of character, and uh, it, it adds a lot to these people who may not kind of represent the full depth of characterization that Persona is capable of, but they're still very fun, and really, they're just a joy to interact with, and I'm surprised that I like most of them as much as I do. There are a couple that I'm like, eh, but for the most part, they're all great, and it's, there's nobody who I just hate. So To, to go back onto the text messages and messaging in line thing, it I really, really like seeing... Uh, that kind of technology in an RPG that makes, that's, you know, ostensibly set in the real world or whatever, but when they smartly integrate things like text and have and have personality of characters show through that kind of thing, it 
it blows me away every time. It's 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 not something that uh, that we're used to seeing, but things like the Facebook page in South Park Stick of Truth mm-hmm. and yep. and the te- and the text in Persona Four Golden, like they're all so smartly integrated and show the personality of these characters in a in a way that isn't quite directly interacting with them. That it's 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 great. Like I I have I love seeing all the text messages that people post from Tokyo Mirage sessions. And I don't own a Wii, and that's the I'm sorry, I don't own a Wii U, and that's the reason why I'm not playing that game right now. But if I were to get one, it would be one of the first four or five games I buy for sure. I'm really glad four it turned. Wow. I'm really glad yeah, it turned a, out. That's right? about a, that's about as ma- as many as I would need to justify buying the system. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. Rob. That's no, fair. <laughs> um, I'm really glad the game worked out so well, uh, and it's also kind of awesome that you know you guys were talking about Atlas taking chances. I mean, they took a chance with SMT4 on the 3DS. They took a chance with Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Like, I think that's just awesome, and they've continued to kind of get their flair for UI design. Like, I, that's one of the things I always kind of attack when it comes to reviewing a game because I think most UI in video games is kind of crappy these days, and yet. Atlas just has such the just an awesome take on all of it. That's just makes it so pleasant, and I'm I'm really glad that this game worked out. And for it to be on the Wii U, I hope it finds a really big following. I hope it's successful because this is one of those like you know kind of third party working with Nintendo style games that we don't see a lot of success on on Nintendo systems, and that's a real shame because that's like the one area that's that's holding back a Nintendo console for me is like, hey, I know I'm going to get awesome Nintendo games if I buy the NX. Like, I'm super excited to play Breath of the Wild. I know it's going to be great, but I want those third-party experiences to be great too. And so the, this is kind of a... It, it's a breath of fresh air in a really positive way. Yeah. It is indeed a breath of fresh air. I, I, I love... I loved the GameCube because I got to play two absolutely phenomenal Resident Evil games on it. You, and remember when Resident Evil went to the GameCube, how crazy that was? That was a giant coup for Nintendo, and I would love for them to you know, get some new experiences that are just great for the system and make it more than just a Nintendo player. Yeah. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. What else do we have? A little bit of Seventh Dragon... People have been playing. What the hell is that? It's well, a, uh, a dungeon RPG. You want to introduce it, Mike? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Seventh Dragon is a couple games. It, it had one DS game and a couple PSP games, and this is the fourth game in the series. Dragon, uh, sorry, Seventh Dragon Code VFD. It's on. It's a 3DS title, and the creator of the first Seventh Dragon game, the DS one is a co-creator of the Etrian Odyssey series. Okay. So, there, so there's a lot of... Um, there's a number of similarities that they share. It's a it's turn-based combat, dungeon-crawling game. Uh, class synergy fo- uh, features into it heavily. But there's... Seventh Dragon's gimmick is... It doesn't have all the mapping shenanigans that Etrian Odyssey has. It's mostly just about, like, collecting materials and getting stronger and killing dragons. I'm down with all those things. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. It had a it had a demo at E3 and a demo that was downloadable on the 3DS the week after E3. But I th- but I having played both, I think they're basically the same. Except uh, and it the the demo is pretty limited. Um, you start with four cl- with uh, they give you one character in each of the four classes, and but they lock the skill trees and a lot of the uh, customization stuff. 
but mm-hmm. and, and oh, the the game eventually has eight classes, but the you unlock the other four uh, periodically. Yeah, I uh, I've been playing it for about a month and a half now. I got it for review really really early. They just decided to get that out to us because they knew how long of a game it was. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. Been playing it. I'll have a review of it up uh, within the next week. So probably around the time this podcast goes up, I should have a review up. It's um, yeah. So it's it's definitely more accessible than say an Etrian Odyssey game in that um, it, well difficulty wise, it's just not quite as hard. It it can be very challenging, uh, but you can turn the difficulty down so just like you can do an Etrian Odyssey. Um, so the difficulty doesn't come so much in navigating because the dungeons are they're pretty lengthy but they're not surprising in any way. There are no puzzles, really, to speak of. Um, it's just... It's corridors, and sta- it's corridors and staircases. Yeah, um, that's all it is. It's just enduring, you know, the enemies in your way. Um, it has... I, what really sets it apart is, so, the dungeons are third-person, and uh, battles take place from a first-person view, but every time you execute an attack, your character will jump out and do it, or you'll see an animation. So you constantly see your characters doing stuff, which is a big plus for me. Because I find that in games where you only see first person, I, I tend to lose immersion. Yeah, uh, it's a big turnoff for me. Yeah, That's so you the the jump from Dragon Quest Seven to Dragon Quest Eight, and actually being able to see your characters perform those attacks was a mind blow back in two thousand four. Yep. Yeah, so this is this is in that vein, and uh, but it has some of the most interesting character classes I've seen in any game of this type. Um, they're so they're, cool. I'm, oh, they, they're so different from like traditional uh, models of these kind of character classes. Like, there's a your starting mage is like a Yu-Gi-Oh card player that has to draw cards at random and spend them to to summon monsters to attack. Yeah. And 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 the most basic unit is probably the samurai, which has entirely different move sets depending on what stance and what katanas you're using. It's, yeah. It has it has a lot of cool twists in each of the character classes. Yeah, none of them function exactly like you may expect. Um, like so, of the starting classes, Mike mentioned duelist and samurai. There's also hacker, um, which is kind of like a trap specialist. So they can do things like um, they can hide from enemy view and then set traps that activate when enemies do certain things, like attack physically or hit a certain character. They can do things like do elemental follow-ups, uh, similar to maybe like pirates in Etrian Odyssey three, and lots of other Etrian Odyssey classes have had that kind of thing. Uh, and what's the fourth one? Um, oh, uh, uh, the God Hand, the the maids and uh, right. the, yeah, yeah they're, they're maids and butlers, uh, monk like hand to hand classes that also I mean, have okay. some that also has some healing spells and uh, occasionally a counter builds when they perform certain attacks and they spend those counters for advanced attacks. Yeah, and the uh, the classes that you unlock later do even more complex things. Like there's uh, one of my favorites is Fortuner, which is like an um, they're an astrologist that uses star power to do various things. So they can do things like uh, set up a, an HP or MP regen at the end of every turn, or they can inflict status effects and then exploit those status effects to drain health and mana from enemies. Um, they have a lot of auto abilities. Like uh, automatically at the end of a turn, you may have a chance to cure all ailments if you put points into one thing. And as Mike was mentioning, um, a lot of characters can be built in like two. Usually there's like two-ish main ways that any character can be built, or you can just you can make a pretty specific focus. So it's actually not out of the question to have multiple characters of the same class in your party. Like you could have um, two duelists if you want, and one of them could focus on fire stuff and one could focus on ice stuff. Uh, it's just a matter of where you allocate your skill points, and especially with a class like Samurai, who has a completely different style depending on whether you're using uh, regular katana or dual katanas, 
and they, they just have totally different skill trees for each. Um, so I really love the character classes in this game. I, I think it adds a lot to a, a fairly rigid formula that we're used to by now. And as the game goes on, you add a second party. You have three characters in your party. You'll add a backup party of three, and then again, you'll add another backup party of three more. So you'll eventually have nine characters. And initially, I wasn't really sure what function that was going to serve because um, when you get your your first backup party, they're basically you can just kind of you you don't tag them in. Uh, you, I mean, you can like back at your home base, but in battle, all they all they really do is they can sort of do a couple of follow up attacks here and there, but you aren't utilizing their actual skill sets that you put points into. So I was like, okay, I guess this is just a backup thing because there was one point where I had to uh, use both parties to go on separate quests, like, at the same time in the, in the story. Um, but beyond that, I was like, okay, well, I guess they're just kind of there to add backup skills. But once I got my third party, um, you unlock something called unison attacks, where if all of your characters build up a gauge to a certain level, you can have all nine people attack in one turn. And you're actually using the equipment that they have on and the skills that you put points into. So there's, like, a ton of strategizing happening with that. So uh, th- it actually does behoove you to pay attention to your party composition and, and what you're doing with them. Yeah, uh, I got the idea for even when I was you know messing around with a uh, with a, um, a a bricked PSP trying to play the Japanese ver- uh, one of the Japanese Seventh Dragon games, like uh, class synergy matters a lot, and that's where almost all of the strategy comes from. This is not a very difficult dungeon crawler, especially when you compare it to the Etrian Odyssey games, but to get the most out of these characters and make huge numbers go across the screen, it's, it takes, like, planning and class synergy, really. Right, and that, that's why it, it maybe not maybe isn't quite as difficult, is because you can pull off such incredible combos if you're smart with how you utilize classes. Um, so I think, I think it's got great combat, and uh, the dungeon traversal isn't great, but it's serviceable. Um, I, I have pretty mixed feelings on this game, and I've kind of wavered on it back and forth. Um, it's got a great soundtrack. Yuzo Koshiro, again, he's the same composer as Etrian Odyssey. <laughs> another, yeah, another connection there. Yeah, uh, but I, I think that this game has some of like the most shallow writing, like shallow, bland, boring writing I've seen in a long time, and some of the worst characters, like awful, repugnant characters that I cannot stand. Like I hate every single character in this game who isn't a premium <laughs> character. They're all so stupid. It's not, and it's not just that they're unintelligent, it's like they're these weird tropes that are borderline offensive um, because they, they they mock me as a player. They make me feel like I'm an idiot because there's like this uh, scientist guy who's this really effeminate man who's calling everybody sweetie and ending every sentence with a tilde. And, mm-hmm, isn't it time that we started the experiment? Mm-hmm. How I've, only, I've only seen him in one scene in the, uh, in the demo and it's, it, it's not good. How does one end a sentence with a tilde? That's a great question, Rob. Maybe you should ask the uh, translators of this game. No, I'm, I, 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 I'm just... Well, it's it's sort of... Okay, and ending a sentence with a tilde is supposed to project an air of, like, coquettishness or indifference. Like a wink? I think of it as, like, maybe a sing-song tone. Maybe, yeah. Like, like, like trailing off in, into a note that shouldn't be there necessarily. Like, darling. Right. Like, something like yes. that. Like, like, I'm yeah. going to the grocery store. Like, something yeah. like that. <laughs> that what kind about, of thing. 
And there's what about stars. Does yes. Oh my God. There's a character <laughs> who ends everything with a star, and it's like okay, it, that's that's just says, not... okay, okay, star, and it's like what the hell does that mean? The, those is... two characters talk together a lot, and it's yes. not it's not. Great. And I I understand yeah. like yes, I understand that she is supposed to be conveying like playfulness or something, but it's just not good. It's not good localization, in my opinion. I I just think that it's like it's so steeped in this weird niche, like, anime-y mindset that it's supposed to appeal to those people, and it's not intelligent writing. And then, of course, they're just, like, you know, all, all the other characters are just so bland, and I've seen them all before. There's, like, the frail girl who's doing her best in spite of her illness. And then I, I thought she was almost more annoying than the effeminate scientist, because I just, I just really, I don't know, like... Incredibly weak-willed characters get on my nerves a lot. Yeah, everybody, everybody is some is a trope that I've seen before, and they're not doing anything well. They're all just grating on me. I just, I, I hate this cast so much. I cannot wait to be done with the story of this game. And I'm finding the dungeon crawling part fine, but the story and cast is just abysmally bad. Hmm. Uh, and that it makes it hard for me to universally recommend the game for that reason because it's just like, can you deal with? insufferable ass characters for 70 hours? Probably because not. Because good luck. No. Mm. I played... But, I don't know, I played Star Ocean 4. Uh, <laughs> oof, oof, but you ouch. can do things... You can uh, build up your home base a little bit. It's, it's pretty limited, the customization you can do, but when you're in dungeons, whenever you fight dragons, dragons are kind of like FOEs in, in Etrian Odyssey in that they're large enemies that roam the map. Every time you defeat them, you get dragon points. Um, and you can use those dragon points to construct new things in your home base. And that sounds really exciting, but all it really amounts to is kind of like new rooms that you're required to build to progress the story. They do unlock a couple of features, like uh, you can unlock a cat cafe, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but the only thing you do in there is you just you can pay a cat food to go in there, and it shows you a little scene of you playing with the cats, and then you roast your HP and MP. Um, and you say like that's a problem. No, it's. Fine. You get a few skill points as well, and then I uh, there was a message that said if I upgraded it further, I'd get more stuff. But like as it is, you know, it's a very very small incentive to go watch a cute scene. I'm fine with that. Um, and then there's like a dating sort of element where you can have these little dates with characters. Um, they don't impact the story in any way though, and they're just kind of a side thing that are silly. Um, they're not very serious. Uh, the cool you can do them with any character regardless of gender, so that's kind of cool. But oh yeah, and that sorry, sorry to interrupt, man. But uh, that reminds me, the uh, each class has um, has four forms: two male and two female, and each of those four has three color combinations. So it's it, you can do a fair amount of like um, visual customization for your characters in, in that regard. Yeah, it's too bad. Uh, that's I don't like cool. the art style for this game. <laughs> a lot it's, of them are so weird, like like chicks with scoliosis and triple Ds. <laughs> What? Everyone's super long and willowy, except for the except for the women that have ridiculous uh, busts. It's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Rob is googling right now. I want to find the one <laughs> I'm talking about. So hey, 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 hey! He's not denying I, anything. No, like not out of interest because he no. thinks it's funny. Well, here's. When did this game. when did this trope start? Like what like I was out of games for a little bit when I was in college and a little bit when I was out of grad in grad school, but like when did the whole like Japanese boobs game when did that really start to pick up? I wish I had an answer for you, my friend. Hmm. But anyway, I think the game is, you know, it's all right. It's a uh, it's a game. 
It, yeah, it's a it's a decent enough game. I I don't think it's bad. I just think that it has some uh, really really awful writing characters. Um, as a dungeon crawler, though, it's pretty great. I would I'd recommend it if you're just looking for a good, uh, solid traditional turn-based RPG. Just don't expect anything exciting in terms of environments or, or writing. Can you can you skip through cutscenes or dialogue? Uh, I haven't been just because I. You know, want to give it a fair assessment, but that's a good question. Let's see. I'm gonna press start. I'm gonna cut. I have the game on sleep right now. <laughs> uh, nope. Ah. You cannot skip. I was gonna say, just skip the story, play the content. I mean, you it. can mash through it, I guess. But um, yeah, it's a it's a decent little game. Well, I guess the last thing we have to talk about is uh, Pokemon Go. Uh. More like Pokemon don't go, right? Huh. Like, Pokemon, your cell's reception sucks. So... I mean, all of my students are playing it right now. They, that My wife is playing it right now. I, I As long as your wife is not driving, that's fine. Yeah, I know. How many car accidents oh. are going to be caused by having to get their Kadabras? I, I saw... <laughs> Yeah. I saw yeah. a picture yeah, yeah. of, like, a, a note, a store saying, like, you know, this uh, Pokemon, this Pokemon whatever is only for paying customers or something like that. Yeah, um, certain locations are designated as Pokemon gyms where you can, uh, uh, you know, battle other trainers and they have more, you know, higher rewards. And I think that that image, I think I also saw it. It's like, yes, this is a Pokemon gym, but it's only for paying customers. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to say, I saw that article about uh, the teen who was playing Pokemon Go and discovered a body when she was out on the walk. Oh, God! Oh, holy crap. Yeah, I that's, mean, that, that's, that's not, like, representative of Pokemon Go. That's just... Uh, <laughs> that's scary. life. Pokemon that's, Go gyms are super hardcore. Man. A lot Jesus. of them are churches. But yeah, Jackie was saying that, too. From, churches from everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Niantic has been uh, fielding data from users for years now for Ingress, and they're just using a lot of the same landmarks. Yeah, so it's, not, it's not like they specifically set out for Pokemon Go and were like, let's make all the churches gyms. They're just like using the same data that they've already collected. Yeah, I guess when I heard that this was going to be like a thing, I was kind of hoping that it would actually be like, you know, I go out, I get a Pokemon, I train it, like I make it stronger, and I, I guess it's kind of not that. Which is a little it's like it's not. It's pretty limited. Uh, I don't. I didn't really expect it to be super deep. Um, as it is so far, it just seems like you're walking around capturing Pokemon that are sort of determined by your area and level, and then um, you can challenge gyms, which are landmarks that people can sort of claim and place a Pokemon to defend. But the fighting is like every Pokemon only has two moves, and I don't. I haven't even fought anything yet because the servers keep going down. So. It just, there's not much to it. Um, I didn't, I don't know what people were expecting. Like, it definitely wasn't ever going to live up to these grandiose promises, or at least this, the images that they projected, you know, when they first unveiled it. Like, it's going to be amazing. You're going to be out fishing, and a Gyarados is going to jump out of the lake in AR. Like, no, that's not. Mm. And eat your face. Like, no, that's, that's not actually what happened. Which is, yeah. you know, I don't think we should be surprised by that, but it's kind of, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. That's nice. the dream. I think it's a ways off in terms... We just have to have better tech to be able to do something like that. But that's not diminishing people's enthusiasm for this game. It's no, only been yeah, It's only been out a day or two as of recording this podcast, but, man, people are going nuts about Pokemon Go. It's it, it, huge, you know, social media impact, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. Now people have lost their minds for this game. Like it's all my students could talk about. I felt like I was back in middle school again. Just everybody talking about Pokemon. Like Pokemon Crystal came out and oh man, now you can be a girl. It's that except. <laughs> It, yeah, it, people are going nuts for it, including several people on RPG fan staff. Yeah, I think it's cool. I I want it to sort of evolve <laughs> and uh, ah. grow into something better and more robust. Um, I know that Ingress has a huge following, and Niantic knows what they're doing with um, GPS-based augmented reality games. So, like, I I have a friend who uh, came to Tucson weirdly enough because there was a big Ingress meetup here. He came and stayed with me for a couple of days, and they had this like huge, it was like a convention. We went down with him to pick up his badges from a, a place downtown, and uh, there were just so many people there, and they basically just move as a group, and they hack portals and do a whole thing, so I, I can see them adding, like, real-time cooperative stuff to Pokemon Go, and that's going to make that game thrive for quite a while. Hmm. Pokemon Go, I, I, don't, I don't get it, but that could still be, you know... It's. Ba- I mean, uh, I think I'm paraphrasing something that one of our other editors said in the Slack channel, but it's basically geocaching with Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, you're you're going to designated points and you know basically like collecting collecting things and you know providing persistent stuff before you go to the next point. And geocaching is neat. It is. I did it very briefly. I found one ever, and there was just a spoon inside. <laughs> I had a, when I did it uh, as part of a Boy Scouts project many years ago, I bought two decks of cards with uh, um, with Batman and Superman characters on them, and I would leave a card at every single geocache that I went to. Oh, <laughs> cute! I went through about I went through about half of both decks. I think, yeah. Maybe well, people sh- in Arizona are just crappy. Should we move on to the uh, listener mail there, Derek? You ready? Oh, yeah. uh, can I mention Brave Exvius, Final Fantasy Brave Oh, yes, Exvius? I'm uh, sorry, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, forgot. Brave, you also forgot, almost forgot about it when we went to an E3 meeting for it. Well, <laughs> shush. All right, well, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a free-to-play Final Fantasy game for mobile devices. It's been out for a few weeks, uh, and, you, and it's, it's really rote. Like, um, I, I've been playing it uh, persistently for about a week, but I think I'm, I'm basically done. And it's mostly, and it's not because of how of the looks or the gameplay, really. It's, like, it looks really good for a mobile RPG. The sprites are cool. The combat is surprisingly functional. It's, you know, you swipe a character up, down, left, or right for different commands and then unlock uh, menus for spells. But, like... <laughs> Like part of the, one of the selling points was having Final Fantasy characters from every game available to your party, but everything is a random draw. So I like ideally I'd be populating my group with a bunch of Final Fantasy four through Final Fantasy ten characters, but I I only have like, I think five of them, and three of them are Galoof from Final Fantasy five. Right. Yeah. My my only rare draw has been Cryo from Final Fantasy five. My oh and oh and also in in addition to those guest characters, you have. Uh, Characters that are basically um, named versions of generic Final Fantasy classes. Like I've I've gotten a black mage named Tron at least four, ten or fifteen times, <laughs> and uh, and my be- and my best character is a spell sword 
named uh n- named oh it's his it's a weird name it's it starts with a B and it's like it's like Bri- it's like Brioli or something I forget but yeah my best character is a four star uh magic swordsman spell sword guy and I would like this game a lot better if I had a little bit more control over what characters I could get because I mean part of the appeal is again all these guest characters and they give you a lot to do in the game there's there's a pretty intricate crafting system there's a a, a story that is moving kind of slowly but the the characters are generic enough and the and the the crux of the journey is we need to go to the next continent okay now we need to go to the next continent so i'm so i'm not really impressed by what i was looking to get out of this game which was you know a a free to play rpg with a story and fi- a bunch of final fantasy characters in it but it i mean it's it's not terrible it's an okay time wasting kind of rpg if you you know can't bring your 3ds or vita to work and uh you get a whole bunch of free stuff if you log in before July 17th. So if you want to try it, now's the time before they take away all the all of the bonus uh, the bonus tickets and bonus currency. So yeah, I, I don't know if I really recommend it because I, I'm a little my expectations might have been a little high. I was pretty impressed with what I saw at E3, and the soundtrack is an Agamatsu soundtrack that's very very good. Yeah, um, the soundtrack is excellent. Yep, and. So, but it's it's not quite what I wanted, and uh, I, I think I'm gonna lose steam and and stop playing it by next week sometime. Yeah, I just can't do the mobile gotcha. Game like anymore. like most free to play mobile games. Yeah, for real. Like I uh, I played Final Fantasy Record Keeper for about yes. the same period of time, about a, about maybe two weeks, and this game has uh, that that game had gave you more control over what characters you could get, and the random draws were mostly weapons. But for this game, it's the opposite. The random draws are the characters, and that's less, much less appealing. And when again, when when most of the game is outfitting your characters and leveling them up, I mean, characters that aren't the ones I wanted it makes it more disappointing. Especially when half of my party is Galoof from Final Fantasy V. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's it's yeah. It's a so, mobile gotcha game. Like it's. Uh, it's very polished. It's got great production values, but it's oh yeah, still... the, the the summons switch to a 3D animation style that is really impressive. Yeah, it's, it's still at its core a mobile gotcha game. Yes, correct. It it is not it is not anything beyond that. Well, listener mail. Yes. Yeah. So, Please. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to write into us. It means a ton. I did not respond to your emails yet, partially because I wanted to read them on the air, partially because I was sick, and partially because um, I just didn't, so sorry. But uh, you guys are super, super cool. We got three emails this uh, week between, well, between last podcast and this one. So I wanted to say thank you to each and every one of you, and I'm going to read your emails on the air. So the first one is from Alexander, I think it's Ilyukin. I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly. So it says, hello, whoever reads this email first. Comments. It says, don't be too surprised, but you have listeners in Europe. At first, I would like to thank you guys for the great work keeping the podcast coming and filling them up with interesting discussions and topics. I have been a listener ever since the first Random Encounter, which I believe was just called RPG Fan Podcast back then. (laughs) I finally decided to give you guys some feedback after the current E3 episode. Out of all the sources that I used to get my E3 intel, I enjoyed yours the most, because you did not praise VR to heavens and beyond, and of course because RPG Fan is for fans of the RPG genre, which I happen to be. 
Thanks to your podcast, I got to know more about titles like Tyranny and Pyre. My questions, uh, would it be possible to know how Stephen M. reacted to Rob admitting that he liked Kingdom Hearts more than FF15 and E3? <laughs> Oh, I want to know this, too. I, I don't think he actually listened to the podcast, and I will never admit it to him. Oh, my God. You have to well, I can, I'm, I can tell him. Yes, you can. I, I, I thought it, it did look a hell of a lot better than Final Fantasy XV. <laughs> we will get back to you on that one. Uh, his next question is, what are your expectations of the newly announced Layton game? Is anyone excited for that at all? Um, Mike, you like waiting, yeah? I, I, mean, I do. I've it. yeah, I uh, I've played all six of the ones for DS and 3DS. I haven't played Layton versus Phoenix Wright, although I want to. And I did see the uh, the Layton film, which actually ties into the second trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am excited for it because I I my I won't say that I was ready for it to be over necessarily. I think that like five out of the six Layton games are really excellent puzzle games. I I sort of don't like the fourth one. But uh, I, I, I thought it ended on a note that I'm not sure how it's going to get any, you know, grander or crazier than it did with that one. And, um, I, I mean, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for more Leighton, but I'm not necessarily anticipating it hugely from a, you know, story exploring the, a story standpoint or exploring these characters' standpoint. But also, I, I say this as an aside, if you like puzzle games and have a DS or a 3DS, please play... Uh, the first three Layton games. I my, I yeah. teared up at the end of all three of them. Unknown Future is incredible. That's the yeah. one. I, I kind of skipped around. Uh, I didn't finish e- yeah. either of the first two before finishing Unknown Future, but man, that game hit me right in the heart. Yeah, no, the, I think the third one might be the, the Unknown Future might be the best one, but I think that the one immediately before it has a similarly emotionally resonant ending that surprises you for a storybook-looking puzzle game. Yeah. But... Uh, Almost all of the games in that series are great. I will play the new Layton, I'm I'm, but I'm maybe not hotly anticipating it. Yeah. All right. And uh, Alex's last question is, is anyone else surprised that there was no info on Dragon Quest XI at E3? Uh, I was not surprised, but I was bummed. Um, I think that they're, they kind of want Final Fantasy XV to breathe a little bit, and I think they showed us Dragon Quest XI when it was still very, very early. If you remember back to uh, Dragon Quest IX, they showed it to us when it was an action RPG briefly before you know the internet cracked open and people said, how dare you change Dragon Quest? So I think what we saw was very, very early. I would expect us to maybe see something at Tokyo Game Show or beginning of 2017. I think that's a 2017 game in Japan. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't expect to hear anything really until FF15 is done you know, out the door and all that. I know that they're very different games, but uh, their marketing is heavily focused on 15 right now. There was a news story somewhere they're talking about possible cross-save between the 3DS and the PlayStation 4. I have no no freaking idea how that would work. How are they going to pull it off? I don't know. Are they supposed to be totally different, though? Well, well, no. They're, they're, well, actually, they they do a okay. Talking about RPGs that start with Dragon, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition did a similar thing where you uploaded that to that Dragon Age Keep website. So yeah. You could, so using that website database, you could uh, transfer save information. I don't think you could cross save necessarily, but like you could load up backstories from earlier Dragon Age games to any different system with that website. So that if they use, like, a, a, a web intermediary, it could work, but it's still insane, the idea of cross-save between the 3DS and the PS4. 
I would do it. Yeah, uh, is the infrastructure there on the 3DS side? I, I know. It, it can I mean, connect to the internet, technically. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't want to connect to the internet, but it can do it. <laughs> it'll, it'll connect to the internet kicking and screaming. It, it gets a little pissy about it, but like, I, I want both versions of that game for very different reasons. Like, I want to have that big Dragon Quest VIII experience again, and I also really like playing my JRPGs on the go. I've said that like a million times in the past five yeah. episodes, but it's true, as I'm sitting here watching a video for SMT4 Apocalypse because I need it. I need it. I need it. Dude, just looking at the map for this game, I think half of my problems with SMT4 have now gone away because the map is about a million times better. Replaying that, re- replaying that has been a little painful because that... Mm, mm. Whoever was supposed to design the map in SMT4 was asleep at the wheel. All right. Uh, All right let me move on here. Yep, so, yeah, thanks so much, Alex, for writing in. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you. He says, yours truly, the European listener. And I don't know if he meant <laughs> but like, If there's only maybe, one in maybe Europe, he is, yeah. uh, I think that's more than we could hope for. So yeah. I really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. All right, next one is from uh, Arthur Herring. So it says, hello, random encounter. Derek has convinced me to email the show to let you all know that I am a loyal listener that believes you do a great job. Yes, thank you. He says, uh, I started listening around episode 70 while searching for podcasts focused on my favorite genre of games. In the years since then, Random Encounter remains the only podcast focused on RPGs that I still listen to every episode the day it is released. Aww. Thank you. Aww. Thank you. Says, Although there are times I disagree with some or all of you, Dragon's Dogma, the reason I continue oh. to listen is in part due to the rapport between all of you. This extends even further than just Rob, Derek, and Caitlin, but also when other members of RPG fan occasionally appear. I feel like I'm listening to the... Oh, I'm occasional. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Does he like Dragon's Dogma? Oh, I'm going to get to that. Okay. He says, I feel like I'm listening to a conversation with a group of friends. Sorry, I feel like I'm listening to a group of friends have a casual conversation in the same way that I do with friends of mine who are interested in RPGs. In my own group, sometimes there's arguing, sometimes I have a 45-minute rant about how the last remnant was a flawed gem, and sometimes we just laugh and joke about how one of us can't beat the boss of the prologue. That would be the Rob of our group, just like on the show. (laughs) And my only request is that you guys continue to make the show you have so far, rife with 20-minute tangents about games that are barely RPGs, if even that much, rampant fanboyism, personal opinions on real-world issues that a game reminds you of, and an underlying tone of pessimism for anything new or different from your brilliant host. Uh, (laughs) Wow, we can do that! Man! Yeah, right? Each of you have a great personality, and the fact that you're willing to actually express said personality captivates me every episode. Finally, be honest with me. How can you not look past the flaws of a game when you can climb onto a cyclops, jam your sword into its head, and stir it around like you would a cauldron? I love Dragon's Dogma. I I will be honest that uh, Dragon's Dogma was on Steam sale just this past week, and part of me thought about buying it because I, I think on consoles that game felt like it was about ready to fly apart. Like, it, it it actually felt like the game was going to crash at any given minute, and I'm kind of wondering if playing with a higher frame rate, and I know someone's going to call me out, oh, you only want to play it on PC at 60 frames per second. Yeah, but that game didn't play well on console. Like, it, it was... The, the Dark Arisen uh, expanded version did make some meaningful improve, improvements to the... I'm sorry, improvements. Improvements. Wow, I can English. I approve um, your improvements. Thanks. Well, it made some meaningful... Uh, upgrades to performance, but I, it probably not enough to change your opinion if you're not already sold on the game. Yeah, it, I it's, just... it's fantasy monster hunter with I just, like with I smarter combat. It. I never played it. I mean, I, I think I messed around with a demo, but that's it. 
I think the bigger problem is why didn't that game have multiplayer? Like that that was just the the because like Because Rob it had rooks or whatever they were called, right? What are they called? Pawns. Yeah. Pawns. Pawns. Yeah, the wrong chess Pawns. piece. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was close. <laughs> that was in the ballpark. I, I, it still was, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, part of me wants to give that game another try, but I just bounced off it so hard, and I just, I despised it. Like, it just, it was not fun to play. I didn't like the com- I know Patrick Klepek and a couple people on Giant Bomb, like, really defended that game's combat. I could there not was a, disagree uh, more. Austin Walker wrote a defense of Dark Arisen a, a month or two ago. It was one of the last things he was he ended up writing for the site. I, maybe I'll go read it again. I I don't know. I, is there an active community for that game still? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I only got into it briefly because I had a rather regrettable Monster Hunter phase uh in the <laughs> in the early, in the early t- late late 2000s early 2010s right when that game came out. Yeah, I really shouldn't talk about that. But I was uh, I was super into the idea of a more fantasy themed Monster Hunter. But it uh, the things that drew me to Monster Hunter, like drove me away from the game in a way because it doesn't have co op multiplayer, which is the reason to play Monster Hunter. And it has a lot of the annoying things about Monster Hunter, like rather archaic systems for health and stamina that are difficult to manage. It also has so, menus on top of menus, hidden in menus that are menus, and it's just. That that game's interface was a nightmare. Like just trying to equip a piece of equipment made me want to kill myself. Wow. Okay, that's a very strong reaction that I do uh, not, not share. I, I it had two different sets of menus. Like that that was just awkward. Like it, it ah. The menus didn't yeah. bother me, but that might be because I had played like 400 hours of Monster Hunter. Where where was Atlas? Get get la- get Atlas. Yeah, in. right. Get get, them at- Atlas is the only ones allowed to make. Menus. Well, I'm okay with Blizzard two. Atlas. That was after Persona four, but before Catherine. So they were basically making Catherine for that time. So your decision whether that's time wasted or not. Well, Catherine. Catherine's cool. We we don't talk about Catherine in this household. (laughs) Jackie just gave me a look. (laughs) Well, which which Catherine though? There's more. Uh, No, no. Well, I the game, but yeah. Never no, 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 I, I know. Catherine. Catherine. <laughs> I did spike a controller playing that game. All right, moving on. All right, and uh, so thanks so much, Art, for that email. And the last email that we have is from Matthew Maines. It just says, I love this podcast. Definitely the best video game podcast out there. I only wish Aww. you guys had more time to do it. Oh. We, thanks, we do, Matt. too. It'd be great if we got paid to do this. I know. If we got paid, can you imagine? Damn. Oh, my God. Podcast every day. Yes. <laughs> So thank you so much to three of our four listeners who decided to send us mail. So when that last one wants to pitch in, then we'll have a... Yeah, you're on notice, number four. Yeah. Yay! Uh, yeah. So here's what I here's what I want to send out to our listeners. Um, we're going to be at MAGFest, or a fair number of us are going to be at MAGFest. And uh, they're going to take submissions for panels, and I would like to do something. I would like to do an RPG fan panel. Uh, okay, uh, for the uninitiated, Magfest is a uh, is a gaming and music convention in Maryland, just outside of Washington D.C. That usually takes place around New Year's every year. Yes, and uh, I. 
don't quite know what we would want to do. Uh, you know, we could do just a live episode. We could do a question and answer session. There's lots of different things we could do. Um, I'm looking for feedback from you guys. Like, what would you maybe want us to do? And also, I want to make sure that more than just one person shows up. Uh, so, like, if there is actual interest in us doing this, you know, please well, let us know. Uh, either through email or on the board, not, or on the Facebook. I'm not going to expect Alexander to come all the way from Europe just for that. No, no, I'm not going to make Alexander. But you know, if you wanted to, that'd be nice. Uh, but it would just be a really, really awesome experience. I would really love to do it. But uh, you know, if no one's going to show up, I, I don't think my fragile eagle, uh, my fragile eagle, my. You be careful with that I, eagle. It is fragile. I don't think my frat. It is right now. Side guys. up. I'm trying to remember. That's from a podcast, and I can't remember which one, but somebody was called <laughs> Fragile Eagle. Mike, you need to give some thought I, as to who that was. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I listen to a lot of gaming Might podcasts. Might have been Shane Bettenhausen, maybe? Like, I can't I can't remember. Um, but uh, my Fragile Ego... Ego... <laughs> I almost did it again. My Fragile Ego might not be able to handle just, like, one person being in this massive auditorium for us. So I know my I, friends would come, too, because I always come in a group of, like, five. Well, there we go. And one I, time I came, I had a group of five-ish. I've been to MegFest many times. I'm I'm a resident of the D.C. area, so I'll, I'll have at least a dozen or so people I know. That I know cool, there. so we can just pad with people we know. Yeah. look like we have... People who love us. That makes me feel better. Uh, but yeah, let us know what you want us to do, and if you would potentially uh, be interested in stopping by, I, I think it would be a really awesome experience. We've been doing this podcast for, oh, God. Uh, years. So we're, coming up, we're coming up on seven years. Uh, oh. Jesus. Good Lord. Yeah. I guess it's about six and a half now. But I, yeah. You know. But it feels, it's been a long time. It would be nice to meet some people. And, you know, I get to walk around MAGFest just drinking scotch. And, you know, and it's it's fun. You won't even be the only person walking around MAGFest drinking scotch. I know. That was like yeah. the best. That's why, we need to make sure we, that's why we need to make sure we get rooms at the hotel this year. Because, like, if we can't, then I, I might not show up. Because I, I need to be able to, like... Have a spot and grab a glass and just walk around drinking scotch. Like I'll I'll stock the day that they announce it, but uh, but it's th- those rooms uh, ran out fast last year, so yes, it'll, I be, did. it'll be a challenge. We stayed well, at a place that was in the hotel block that was, I mean, like a five minute walk away, and that place was fantastic. So as long as I can bring the scotch, so and, uh, and some other RPG fan folks uh, used an Airbnb in the in Oxon Hill, Maryland, nearby. Which was okay. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see what kind of response we get on that. We're also looking for more uh, listener mail. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and through the RSS feed. Uh, again, make sure to give us emails. Give us positive reviews on iTunes. Uh, and keep uh, keep interacting with us on the Facebook page. That seems to have really taken off uh, in recent months. And yeah, Steph and Nilsson are really killing it on Facebook for they us. They definitely are, and that, that that's just a positive experience. So uh, for Derek, Caitlin, and Mike, thank you all for listening, and we will see you all later. See ya. Bye, Bye everybody. I'm going to the grocery store. So long. What? Farewell. Auf and goodbye. Adieu, adieu to you and you and you.